Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition. My name is Braden Gall, and yes, that's right, Zach Lyons back in the saddle. Good to have you back after you murdered a hammerhead shark in the Gulf of Mexico. Zach, how are you, sir? Good to see you, buddy. Doing good. Just making orphans out of all kinds of sea animals. <laughs> I do enjoy. Uh, and we're, I'm gonna. We're gonna look. We got a great show today. Brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. You guys know the drill. You want to get into the comment section, be a part of the show. We love that. That's why we are live for you guys on Mondays and Thursdays at one o'clock Central Standard God's time. Good afternoon to you, Derek. So we are live here so that we can interact with you guys. So uh, obviously, uh, Ryan Tannehill is a huge racist. So we'll talk about that uh, today on the show. Sure to be taken out of context. Um, obviously there's a conversation and Mike Herndon wrote a piece about this for paulkarski.com. We talked a little bit about, about it this last week in terms of the goals for defining progress for Will Levis, which is getting the football out quicker and protecting himself. But this whole conversation, I, I think we need to reiterate, and I'm glad to have you back Zach to talk about this, which is the difference between like breaking a young player's confidence and breaking a young player's body and what this Titans offensive line is attempting to do and what that means for Will Levis long-term. Uh, as a potential starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of hot seat conversation because when you are, what, 2-13, and 2-14 and 14 in your last uh, – or 3, I should say, 3-14, and 3-15 and 15 in your last 18 or so games, there's going to be conversation about that, but I think there's critical context that needs to be included, and then we Including need to start – Including this 7-3 and three start to last year is critical context, by the way, that everybody's oh. leaving out, and it drives me mad. You can't just arbitrarily choose which games you're going to use to make sure that someone gets fired. Like, that's just ridiculous. I, I would argue, Zach, that his entire coaching career is part of the conversation. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Maybe all of the games he's coached as the head coach of the Tennessee Titans yeah. should be taken into consideration. It should be. And that's what talking. we talked about football and other F words was like, hello, he's still the same coach that he's always been. You just can't say, well, you know, I'm really fed up with Mike Vrabel this week, so I'm only going to include right. the last 16 games. And by the way, there's 17 games in a season, so you should be right. including the last 17 games if you're going to go that stupid-ass fucking route, <laughs> which I'm not well, saying you. Been. I'm just mad at the people. Yes, absolutely. And we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about the, Jags, the, the Jaguars game, of course. Uh, there's a stadium announcement coming on Friday, so if you're listening to this on Thursday live with us or Thursday evening, uh, there's a Titan Stadium announcement. I have – I am under the st – I. How about this? I'm going to tell folks, lower your expectations. That's all I'm going to say. That's what I figured. <laughs> lower your expectations. I mean, come on. <laughs> the Tennessee Titans will open on January 1st, 2025. Two years early. No, lower your expectations. That's all I'm going to say about that. That announcement, of course, is coming on Friday. Lots of great stuff to talk about today. There's coaching searches in the SEC. Can the Tennessee Vols pull an upset on Georgia? No is the answer, but we'll talk about it. So we'll get if we got some time for that at the end, we'll get there. Uh, good to have you guys in the comment section uh, already. And, of course, Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group are two great, awesome sponsors. Uh, look, we care about you guys who listen. Football and other F-words to this show, the folks who read Stack in the Inbox, the folks who listen to all the other shows on this network and Broadway Sports Media. The whole point of doing this is because we care about you. And we would not tell you about any products or businesses in this community if we did not use them ourselves and we did not believe in them because we value you guys, the audience, way too much for that shit. So Sinker's Beverages in East Nashville, number one liquor store in the, in the city in 2022, partner with uh, their sister store, Bluegrass, up in Hendersonville. You don't last for 50 years in a community if you're doing something wrong, okay? Sinker's Beverages, Bluegrass Beverages, go shop at those liquor stores. Great selection. They'll help you out making choices for any event you got coming up. All kinds of... Uh, Zach, I cannot tell you how many 
like things I am booked for family gatherings, friend gatherings, basically from like starting Saturday through like the end of the year. It's it, the kids, kids have friends and then in-laws. It, it's just, it's so much shit. And so Sinker's Beverages, good place to do that. And if you need a glass of liquor at the end of the night, Sinker's Beverages is a good place to do that as well. Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com is the website. Go check them out. Uh, obviously these guys are award-winning, locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. They're also a big part of charity organizations in this community. They are a part of entrepreneurship organizations in this community. They are a, a huge asset to Nashville. So make sure you use them as an asset to your family and your home. Okay. Uh, first, quickly, some F-word stuff, because uh, you guys were back in the saddle this week, you and Herndon. Uh, yes, you. if you want to hear more about uh, Zach orphaning hammerhead sharks in the ocean, um, uh, you know, you said you you called the uh, would you call would you accuse the hammerhead of maybe being a murderer? Is that what you said? No, no, I'm the murderer. Um, but I mean, maybe he was. I don't know what his life was like. I mean, maybe he was a murderer, and maybe I saved a community. But I don't know. You mean shark deserved it, says Derek. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just like going by and you know minding his own business, and you know just got accidentally caught on the dorsal fin. Yeah. So here's my thought, though. And I was so if you want to hear the whole story, go check out football and other efforts. Uh, but I my my initial thought when I heard you say like, oh, maybe I took out like a nice shark. Oh, maybe I took out a bad shark, essentially. And I was like, aren't all sharks murderers? Like, don't they doesn't isn't every animal on the planet a murderer? Every carnivore, every predator is a is a murderer by definition to eat. They have to like I'm teaching my kids about the food, the food chain here. You know what I mean? Like, isn't every. Like every lion is is a is a murderer in theory, even if they're like a nice, good, like cool, chill lion, right? Well, maybe he he only kills bad animal, other bad animals. <laughs> it's like he, maybe he's the Punisher. You don't know. Oh wow, Easton Sharks' fault for resisting arrest. I'm not sure. That's a citizen's arrest. There. How many years have you been going out on this boat in the ocean? By the way. Oh, just only like two or three years. Okay, so I mean, I've been deep sea fishing many, many years, but only on this particular boat, two to three years. How many hours do you? How many like did it actually take for you to roll in that uh, almost two hundred pound tuna last year? Oh, it took about two or three, two, two to three hours. Two or three hours. To roll how are your hands? Day. How are your hands feeling after that? Fine. I mean, we had gloves and stuff, and like it's it's not it, the the way the reels are designed. They're you're only supposed to reel in when the fish has parent has like quit moving so it's yep, not yep. you know that difficult gives you gives you some gives you some some uh some slack you pull it in um it, no, it was a, a hammer he's saying it's a button head but it was a hammerhead shark uh so hammerhead shark here's my question yeah, where we're during we those were way far away from america so any american buttonhead <laughs> fish or whatever you're talking about does not apply so my question is during this two or three hour grind let's call it three hours for no particular reason uh, uh during this three hours, do you have moments where you like lack in energy and focus? And perhaps you are, are, you know, you're taking a few plays off hypothetically, you might say. No, no, I would say that there, we, we do, we did a good subbing. Uh, and, and I worked probably even when I was on the bench, technically, uh, with the, my gloved hand, I'm pulling the, uh, line in as the other person is moving. So we're getting a little bit of extra push. So I don't really take plays off. Now I had to take two plays off my hand cramps. So I need to get pickle juice, which we had on the boat. And then I had, uh, got ocean water in my eye and one of my eyes and I couldn't see. So I got some fresh water. That's about it. Okay. So like reasonable reasons to take a playoff, like out of the game, 
uh, give somebody a sub, get, get, take a breather, you know, fix an injury. You know, uh, these are the things that you would you, you would do if you took took plays off hypothetically. Uh, and by the way, Titan Fox, um, you're stepping all over the the bit here, but I do like the comment so much that I need to I need to point it out because I just have have an image of he goes Dexter of the animal world, lol, the lion that interviews antelope to find out the bad ones, and I just have an there image of of a lion sitting there. So it, the point is, and obviously this is a long winded way of getting to like the Titans have an have a have an effort problem. And a consi- I would say consistency more than anything. And I, I, I heard you talking about this. I heard PK talking about this. And I, I think there's, I've always been of the belief that largely the NFL's contract system doesn't really allow for like lollygagging and loafing. It just, it doesn't really allow for that. Unless you have like Jeffrey Simmons, for example, recently signing a massive contract where you got your big paycheck and like, maybe that's where you could see. And I'm not saying this is about him specifically. You go, go back to Albert Hainsworth, right? When you got paid yes. by the command, yes. that's a, that's a very old example. I mean, I'm sure there's, yes. you know, Le'Veon Bell maybe would be a more recent Randy example, Moss. but there are other, yeah, maybe there, there are other examples of players that have gotten paid that don't show up for their contract. So I, this is how I want to get into the Vrabel hot seat conversation. Because I, I think if you are arguing about the record, which I know on paper is what it is, as you've already said, you got to have context around it. If you're going to argue about Mike Vrabel, the head coach, you need to include his entire body of work. You need to include what the possibilities outside of the body of like, if you're going to move on from Mike Vrabel, what are, don't, have a plan. Don't just fucking do some shit like to actually have a plan in place. So who do you think is guaranteed to be better than Mike Vrabel? I'm willing to bet you the percentage chance that you went and hire a better coach than Mike Vrabel is extremely small. Mm -hmm. And so I think these are all things you need to consider. And I think the wrong hot seat conversation is taking place. It is about the record and about the immediacy of right this minute. And it's such, it's like, Oh, right now they suck right now. They're not good. They were bad last year. To me, the only conversation that I would have about Mike Vrabel even getting close to the hot seat, because I don't think it's even close. I don't even think it's a possibility right now. He has to have another terrible back half of the season, in my opinion, for to even be a conversation. Is about the the effort and about the culture and the motivation. Like there, there's the the problems with this team, as I said on Monday, are are is talent based. Like you're, you come around to sort of like me and Herndon's thoughts that like this team is not deep and not overly talented. And when they lose a couple of key pieces, they get, it looks even worse. Ultimately though, motivation, effort, energy, attitude, that is stuff that comes from the coaching staff. Yes. You need See, to be self. I, I disagree to an extent. Okay. It, okay. Cause I, I played sports. So when I went on the field, even if my team sucked, I always gave it my all. And I don't think that you are seeing, I'm not going to include special teams. I don't think you're seeing 22 players going out there and giving it all, even if their team sucks. And even if they may lack talent, which you can lack up in talent that, that you're, they are grown ass man. Now it is the coach's job is in their job description to motivate, you know, coach up, game plan to put them in position to succeed, but is ultimately on the adults on the field, the players on the field to keep their energy up, to make sure they're executing properly and to make sure they are giving maximum effort on every play. 
So that's kind of where, like, I get what you're saying, and but I think there is a difference between who's ultimately responsible and ultimately you are responsible for sure. yourself. Yeah, and, and I can't argue that when you're out there for those four seconds or six seconds, like, it's on you to go max effort. Like, that's on you. I get that. But if you look at the list of things that Mike Vrabel is sort of, like, what's his job? Like, what's his true responsibility? Uh, oh, 365 days a year. Like, what's his job? And part of it is building, putting together a roster with the front office. That doesn't happen really as much during the season. It's certainly not the the thing that you can like debate about. Like, it wasn't good enough in the offseason. We can address that in the offseason and what their plan is going to be in the offseason. Um, that is kind of what it is. It's not, he doesn't call plays. He, it's managing the game for sure. And which we know he's like, has a, a better understanding. He's a master's degree in the NFL rule book, probably more than anybody else in the sport. It's putting together a coaching staff, which you do also in the offseason. So we can be critical of like why he didn't fire Craig Ackerman, for example. Like we can talk about those things. But again, none of those things have changed between the beginning of the season and today. So as a CEO, the, the psychology of leadership is kind of the only thing because I don't think it's the scheme. I don't think it's Shane Bowen or Tim Kelly, of which you can put on Mike Vrabel, but I, I don't think it's either of those two. It's it's. Like to me, of all the things that you would lay at Mike Vrabel's feet in the season, the only one that I think I can even put on him, and I'm not trying to apologize for Mike Vrabel here because the team hasn't been good, but like the only thing I think you can put on him is the reflection of sort of what might be his attitude. And somebody said it earlier in the comments. Um, Titan Fox says Vrabel's seat isn't hot yet. The fans see his lackluster attitude and feel like he's giving up and then there's also another comment about like how the players reflect that to some degree that's kind of the I'm, I'm searching for a reason to be like you're not doing your job mike rabel and the only thing i can come up with in the season yeah. is that this ceo motivational psychology leadership thing is showing up with inconsistent effort and energy and that's it well i, I mean i think what you could probably lay at his feet out of all this stuff that we're we're talking about, is maybe the message is stale because okay. it's the same message he's used during the winning seasons. He's brought the same demeanor, the same energy. I mean, we we joke about it and talk about it all the time for over these last ever since Vrabel's joined that he's more mad and pissed off after a win than he is losses. And and maybe there is a lack of energy and tiredness, but ultimately, again you know that he's in that office giving it his all. Like, to me, Mike Vrabel's not a guy that's that's taking days off and slacking, right? No. So when he's on the field, when he's at practice, he's given everything he can. When he's in meeting rooms, he's given all the knowledge, all the motivation, all the game plan, game planning that he can. It is up to a player to take all of that. And that's what we're, that's the one, the one difference between this season and every season beforehand is that Mike Vrabel has pretty much said, Derrick Henry has pretty much said, Jeffrey Simmons has also pretty much said, this is a player problem. They have all three alluded to it in different ways, in different forms with the words they've said, Derrick Henry most recently on Sundays after Sunday's loss, but they are all saying it and nobody wants to hear it. But they are all saying, essentially, the pl it's play better. It's not coach better. And and I'm sure there are some things you can nitpick with every head coach, you know, decisions. It's impossible but, to be but, perfect. Yeah. The players, Derrick Henry, 
and Jeffrey Simmons, the two most beloved players currently on this team, are telling you it is it is the players. They have to play better. They they have to have the the it's purpose driven. They have to find ways to motivate themselves because there's only so many times a coach can say. Play better. Do your job. Do this. Do that. You, you know, don't turn your head. Do this. Do that. There's only so many times a player, a coach can do that. And maybe they've just ran out of ways to tell certain players how to do it. But I uh, mean, Jeff that... Simmons, Derek, and you're telling me right now. Right. It's the fucking players. And unfor- and maybe people don't want to hear that, but it is. No, it's it's definitely the players. I said it on, on, on Monday and, and Easton kind of agreed with me and then kind of pushed back on the defense. Like, I don't think there are dudes. I don't think there are difference makers on this defense outside of Jeffrey well, Simmons you kind largely. you flip-flopped on what a dude, the definition of dude, and then maybe said it's stars. And then, so, you know. Well, I, I'm I okay with today. And I'm okay with a, a good, smart conversation with somebody else, like changing my opinion in real time and maybe evolving that. That's I, I view that as a sign of being an adult male. But like, what I think is interesting is when I say that to your point, I, I, so, I sort of mean like a guy who is a top, let's call it eight, player at his position in the league. So you're not, you don't have to be number one. You don't have to be Mahomes. You don't have to be the best guy in, in the world. You don't have to be Aaron Donald. But like, are you, are you a top third at your position like dude difference maker like a true difference maker and it's okay to have a larger definition of that than i do or maybe i have a smaller you know i'm okay with sort of everybody having their own perspective on that but i i think there's like one on defense it doesn't mean that denico autry is not a really good player or or that roger mccurry couldn't be a very good player or that sean murphy bunting isn't clearly better than all the other options like that's all good important context but there is one dude uh, one dude on defense. And then there's yeah, maybe there's one superstar. I, I agree. There is one right, superstar. Right. And I'm not sure who else is a top eight to 10 player at his position. Ultimately. And I don't want to get into like, who's there and who's not. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Cause it was Ultimate... a silly ass argument that lasted way too long. You had two of them <laughs> on that episode. I was like, my God, could y'all shut the fuck up and get to right. like, will All Levis? Right. All right. Calm down. Will Levis wasn't that important in the Tampa Bay game. <laughs> <laughs> he, it, it was just not that there's nothing there for us to learn from about Will Levis because the, the but I do think this is ultimately and, and Stoney asked this question he says uh, let me scroll back up here he says uh, folks have talked about Jeff Simmons not being his usual self this season could it be a trickle down effect where maybe guys are looking to the leaders on the field some osmosis shit and I do think the that be, I, I'm ultimately I think it's the players. I do think that it's Vrabel's job to evolve his message if it's not landing. Like you, you have to evolve as a leader psychologically in some and I'd way. I agree with that. I, I think his coach got to play better still. You got to find something else right. to work with here. But it does. But Stoney is right in this that it does. Like if the head coach is frustrated and the star player is frustrated, then how can you not? Why wouldn't the middle linebackers not all that great be frustrated as well? And so. I think it does leak into the entire roster at some point, but that again is on the players and the coaches to find like you're I've always been a believer that like the whole point of the contract situation in the NFL is so that everybody could just get cut. If you don't do your job, like that's the entire point of the league. Mm -hmm. Every other league has guaranteed contracts. I think there's a major house cleaning coming and they couldn't afford to do it this last off season. But I mean, and I've mentioned on football and other F words. I mean, there just has to be, right? I mean, you got all these players that have been kept or you're forced to keep because of depth issues and they're not even really that good. But 
and then you have, you know, salary cap contract issues, you know, last year, lack of, you know, successful draft picks. I mean, I, I really, and I don't think it's staff, right? Like, I don't think there's a big house cleaning coming on staff unless Ackerman gets fired and maybe Bowen gets hired somewhere else, which is perfectly fine with me. Um, but I, I, I do think that player wise, team wise, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of new fame. We talked about how this team had a lot of new faces this year on offense in particularly, and not necessarily defense as much as offense, but I think there's a big, you know, house cleaning coming. I just think that everybody needs to expect that yep. this team looks drastically different than last year's team, but next year's team is going to look drastically yep. different than this year's team. Green, Green Thumb says, how do we know his message is not evolving? Levis says he loves Vrabel and he is the perfect coach for him. Uh, Will Levis has been on the roster for all of seven months and so has no clue what the last six years of messaging has been for Mike Vrabel. I'm not trying to be rude, Green Thumb, but yeah, Levis, Levis doesn't know any better than what he's heard the last yeah. six, six months. So he, he just doesn't know. Um, so I don't think we can we can ask that question of, of Levis in particular. Also, he's a young bright-eyed, bushy-tailed rookie quarterback who's coming in like, hey, guys, what's up? I'm ready to play. Let's go. And just because it resonates with some players doesn't mean it's going to resonate with all players, right? You have to find you your job as a CEO head coach, which is what Mike Vrabel is, is to find a message that resonates with 90% of your team. You're not going to have a 100% buy-in or message from every player. But you need to have a majority buy-in, and right now there's not a majority buy-in. Well, it's almost the opposite of how he described his defense. What was it? It was a front multiplicity and coverage consistency. When it comes to leadership, you need sort of foundational consistency, and then you have to cater your message to the individual to maximize its efficiency. That is leadership 101. And so I, I think he's very good at that stuff. You can't tell me that after six years of elite culture, Every single free agent I talk to that comes in here, what do I ask him every time? The first time I see him, I say, what is it about Mike Vrabel that makes him different than the other coaches you've played for? And every single one to a man says, it's about building a relationship with me. It's about communicating with me. It's about making holding me up as like an individual inside this larger team. Like it's all about the psychology of leadership. So I just don't think that's, while I can ask that question of, of Vrabel and put that at his feet and say, yeah. look, if, if you're going to be blamed for something, I'm going to blame you for the lack of consistent effort and energy in the locker room. But I also then can't ignore the six years of context about who Mike Vrabel is and what he's accomplished. So, and let me say this, these players uh, name search on social media all the time. And I'm sure that does not help your, your mental attitude and your desire and your want. And some people it does, you know, some people are motivated. I think it's CJ Ozuma is going through and like, bookmarking and liking every tweet that tells them that he sucks or whatever um but that's a bad that's a bad way to live your life i feel like (laughs) for me if i was a team yeah i know that a couple years ago that mike Vrabel went in there and showed all the uh you know all the bad tweets and everything as motivation i think during a losing streak i think that maybe banning social media would be (laughs) the best choice of action right now it 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 isn't maybe it's a little bit of the fans fault Fucking losers, get off the internet, go touch grass. <laughs> I say this uh, extremely unironically on as a person who creates content digitally on the internet. Um, 
I it, social media is not good for you. The, the social yeah. part is the problem. <laughs> media part, media is good. Media can be healthy, can be nutritional, can be smart. We can build a community in here and we can talk and have a conversation. There's the, the take for you. Blame the fans. Let's blame the fans. We're just spinning around on this. <laughs> no, no. I'll, uh, there, and then, well, there is some media, and we'll get to this in a second, that does need to be blamed for being a bunch of fucking dumbasses, but that's, that's a different subject altogether. So uh, anyway, I think the smart conversation about Mark Vrabel is that we are not anywhere close to the hot seat, but if you're going to blame uh, him for, I think, it, I think the end of the season is like at the earliest, I think we're a ways away. Trading him to new England is a million that they have an opportunity. If they really don't want Mike Vrabel to be their coach anymore in this weird world where they're so bad that they just ignore five and a half years of six years of being a high quality coach in which he'll get snapped up immediately by another team. And you're going to hire a worse guy. Okay. Uh, through all of that, you don't want him to be your coach, trade him to New England. I've said it now three weeks on the show. You can get something back for him in return. So there is no world in which they are firing Mike Vrabel. That's I would opinion. say this. Uh, I would say that if you're looking at your oven or your stovetop and you're setting the dial and Mike Vrabel is sitting on your stovetop, right now he's on he's on the lowest burner of, with the BTUs, okay? So it's your use, typically your back right burner. Yep. And you got it on melt. It's on melt right now. It's it'll melt a stick of butter in a pot, you know, over you know ten minutes, and it will never like really burn the pot or anything. Keep it warm. That's where he's at. He's not at two or three or four. He's not mid low or mid high or whatever. He's that <laughs> warm, and I think that's an appropriate place to put it. Is that his his pants are melting, and that's it, that's what it needs Sorry. to be. Not a hot butt yet, just a little warm. It kind of it's like a heated seat where you kind of forget that it's on, then you think you peed yourself. It That's where like, we're at with Mike Vrabel. <laughs> it feels like you peed yourself. Um, yeah, it sounds like a personal problem to to have your pants on fire. That's that's for sure. I, I think his. I think you're right. It's like a two out of ten if you had to put a number on it. It's like we're we're kind of like side eyeing the conversation, and I think it's a stupid conversation to have right now. I think the smarter one is what is he he to blame for? Like, what are you actually blaming him for? And and I, for example, while you were out, we talked about this. Does the defense need to be more simplified? Is that, a, is that a thing that they need to to make it faster and more streamlined? Does it need to be simplified? I still think it's a player problem, but that's a thing you could maybe say, all right, Mike, are you evolving with Shane Bowen to maybe simplify things to make it easier to play faster in the defense? Okay, let's ask that question. It, offense, same kind of thing. Are You you said this on F-Words. Are they throwing enough short passes? Has he leaned on Tim Kelly enough to say, I want you to do more of this, and this is going to help our rookie quarterback and our shitty offensive line? I, I just, I can't believe a world in which he has not had those conversations with people <laughs> like what do you yeah. think he does just watches the game and is like says fucking nothing to his whole, whole entire coaching staff like what are we what are we doing well there you know maybe he's not having maybe he's having different ways to, about that conversation right like we talked about messages and all that kind of stuff you know what i'm saying like stale messages maybe he's not communicating it maybe saying what can we tim kelly tim what can we do to help you know, blah, blah, blah out. Or, and here's what we see from the defense. Instead of saying and just dictating, we need quicker passes. Like sometimes we know that Mike Vrabel gives his coaches a lot of leeway. Sometimes just better to go in and say, Hey, we need quick routes, quick passes. We said we're going to be explosive. We need that. Cause right now only, uh, 35.9% of Will Levis's dropbacks so far are under 2.5 seconds. We got to speed that up. Yeah, you got to speed that up. Uh, anyway, I, I I don't disagree with you. 
I just can't imagine a world in which he has not had every conceivable conversation with every I mean, member what people of think, right? Like people think, you know, that he is not doing anything and there's only so much you can do. And my, my thing is, is that like the talent that Mike Vrabel had back in, I guess when he won coach of the year on defense and offense is still much better than the starting yes. 53 of this year. I mean, it's just, it's plain and simple. Everybody over, overestimate everybody. Now, there are people that said that, okay, this roster isn't as good as some people think, but nobody predicted, not one single person, that the talent on this roster would be this bad. Like, this is a terrible, terrible roster. Like, even Mike, who is the darkest of dark souls about the outlook of the 2023 season, he said that this is even worse than what he thought. And I think yeah. if you say, if I think if you say that this isn't this isn't a worse talented team than even you thought, then you are not properly evaluating yep. your own self. So no, I would I, I would me, agree with you. I, I then and I even joked as like then you know, in my opinion, the way I estimate it is like this is a thousand times worse than what I thought. <laughs> but I mean, it it's it's people could still be right about okay, maybe they go eight and nine and it's still an eight and nine team. This does not look like an eight and nine team. Now the schedule may make it look like an eight and nine team at the end of the season, but as I've said yeah. many times before, wins and your schedule does not really reflect more often than not the talent of your team. And the talent of this team right now is nowhere near close to even the coach of the year squad. So Ed, Ed Henry says, um, could you make an argument that with a competent, with competent tackle play on both positions, could they be a six and three team? And I would argue you that can... the NFL, every team in the NFL is a couple of plays away from being three or four games worse or three or four games better. That's sort of how the, the product is intentionally designed to work. And I, I mean, yes. Is this roster worse than I expected? Absolutely. Um, are, is this team right about where I kind of expected? It's probably about right where I expected. There might be one or two losses. Like I had them at two and four. I didn't have them winning the division. I had them with a losing record because I didn't think they were deep enough and I didn't think they were talented enough. And it's worse than that. But yeah, that that's ultimately where we are. And to your point, they have some opportunities to win some games because of the schedule. And so they, they and let me say this rally, uh, the, the competent tackle play. Sure. Right. But there are, there are lots of points left on the board in the saints game. There are lots of, lots of points left on with both incompetent tackles. Right. They have nine red zone touchdowns, 28 red zone trips, right? Like if they were at 50%, they would maybe be at six and three because the defense has done their job limiting points of the opponent. So maybe even if they went like 50% red zone percentage, which is, I would assume about, you know, half Mark or something. I don't know who's the, that well, way, so they're, but like, the, I don't you know, know if you to me, to, I'm thinking that is that. The, so they're at 32%, which would be the worst total in the NFL since 2012. It would be the worst number, in the, but aren't the but the Jets are worse. It, but the know? Jets are worse. We talked about this a lot on last Thursday's episode. In, in that, if they were like they they are not just bad for the Titans, and they're not just bad for the NFL this year. They are historically bad in the red zone. And so, yes, if they convert a couple of more of those, absolutely could be a 500 team or a couple more wins or whatever. But again, that's sort of how the league is designed. The the league is designed for teams to be as even as humanly possible. And then it becomes the margins that that becomes the difference. And when you are, I would say, a bottom five, bottom six talent roster, 
uh, you're going to have to do some heavy lifting in, in those margins to win games. And, and we'll see, um, we'll get to Levis and, 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 and all that stuff here in just a second. I will say the other two things I, <laughs> I heard from F words, first of all, I can't like, I heard you say you thought bringing in Josh McDaniels, as soon as you started that, I was like, Oh my God, I hate fucking Josh McDaniels. Let's not do this. But in the NFL, unlike college where you are not limited by any like financial structure or number of people you can have around, like any, any idea is a good idea. Anybody with experience is a valuable asset. Even if you're putting him way down the depth chart and just having him comment from like the back row, like, I don't, I'm okay with that. So I was a little, I was kind of, I came around on the Josh McDaniels idea, bringing him in as a Jim Schwartz type of consultant. And I think there's a chance that Mike Herndon has to eat a hat on live YouTube on football and other F words. I think the, was it oh, yeah. Marvin Harrison jr. Does not fall out of the top three or he'll eat yeah. his hat. Is that what it is? Yep. I think he goes top three. So, okay. So <laughs> on the, on the red zone attempts, by the way, maybe we could dive this into, do you want to go to the, the I want more the, hat talk. Gonna... I want to eat hats. I want to know. Well, I'm just saying the 16th best team is the Atlanta Falcons and they are converting 53.1% yeah. of their red zones trips. The Titans are converting 32.1. If you're even, it's almost like the offensive line that we said, even if you have an average offensive line, that's all that matters. If they were an average red zone team, this team would probably be a winning record. Yes. And we would not be talking about Mike Vrabel at all. Like yes. that's, that's how thin the margin of error is, which we have always talked about for this team, but, but they've always been a good red zone team. Now they're a terrible red zone team. And that is the recipe for disaster right here. Uh, and I, I just so that, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would say that the top two thirds of the NFL each year is above 50%. Uh, basically it's like yeah, the last, I, I would say, yeah, 50% is number 23. So like there are yep. one, two, three, four, five from 18, 19 to 23 that are at 50%. The, the majority of the NFL each year is over 50% in the red zone. That's what you need to know. And right now they're at 32%, which again, the Jets this year and the Titans this year would be the two worst red zone offenses in over a decade. So I just want to just that's important context to, to understand. So, um, OK, so Trey says McDaniels question mark sports things value. Josh does not. I think you are over placing the amount of power he would have. You're overvaluing the amount of power he would have. The idea is, is when he's asked to be a head coach, he's fucking terrible. But when he's designing a play, he's he's got experience. And so if he's the third and or fourth... And we detailed all that yeah. he did with the Patriots yeah. and as far as rankings and stats. We dove into it in football and other F-words. It's a lot better than what you think, and it's a lot better than what the Tennessee Titans have yeah. fielded for the last three years. Yeah, and basically, because again, if you want to hear that full conversation, go, uh, go check out F-words. But I think ultimately, if he's the third or fourth voice in the room... And he chimes in with one comment a week, like perfect, fine. That that, that that's that could be an asset to the team. There, there's no there's no reason to leave any stones unturned at this point of the season um, with a rookie quarterback. So if you want to you want to move on to Tannehill real fast and the and the uh, the internet yeah. stuff because I don't this is not a long conversation here, but like there was an article written about this, and this is where I do think sometimes it's it's important to be critical of the prop the mistakes that media makes. The vast majority of people in the media are doing the best to try to provide the best coverage and be accurate and honest but th this this deadspin article 
about Ryan Tannehill essentially only helping white quarterbacks because he's only going to help Will Levis and not Malik Willis is so factually inaccurate that it hurts my my brain as like on on all the different levels like as a human as a sports fan as a broadcaster it like Ryan Tannehill was front and center in the middle of some of the most hotly contested racial debates in our country in the last 10 years and Ryan Tannehill was standing next to Kevin Byard working on unity the entire time what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> like it, it was is... my that was but the banner for football and other efforts uh twitter banner or whatever for the longest time uh they there was incredibly just what's it what do you expect from deadline like at this point uh, i only see Dead maybe deadline. one or two deadline articles a year <laughs> across my feed and they are some of the most biggest trash pieces yeah. i've ever seen every year it used to be so good. They, it used to be good. It used to be, but it has been nothing but terrible. And I couldn't believe it. I, I, it's revisionist history. It's, it's people that don't cover the team and are taking quotes way out of context and not understanding that you know Tannehill was doing the same thing with Malik Willis that he was doing with Will Levis. It's just that they, everybody didn't hear how they wanted it heard, and that's how it is. They, they selectively chose a couple of comments, leaving out. The entire body of work of his life, <laughs> like yep. his life, like when it comes to this stuff, because I know we are in a time in our society where we are being, you know, we're overcorrecting, right? This is what being sensitive to pronouns means. And this is what like it's we're just overcorrecting on sensitivity. It's what me too meant. It's what BLM means. We're just trying to be smarter here. It doesn't mean we're not going to overcorrect a little bit. But like you are the body of your decisions. You are the body of work. This is like Mike Rabel on the hot seat. Like you're six years of a head coach, not 12 games. Ryan Tannehill's like Ryan Tannehill's had a whole life <laughs> of decisions. And as the Titans quarterback, the entire time he's been here, he has done nothing but the opposite of what that article says. And that is so dumb <laughs> and lazy and bad. And I don't, I don't really blame media entities and writers for having bad opinions very often because we all have them. But that one is so lazy and inaccurate that it it's upsetting to me. So I just uh, yeah, it's again. terrible, terrible right. journalism if you even want to call it that. That is like lowercase J font size two journalism. Yeah, it's it was an it was an interesting website for a long time, and now it like almost all digital properties over the last five years in the written space. They have to chase the big thing that gets the clicks. And that is unfortunately yeah. just the way the business works. Every niche company that used to have these little communities of people, they, they've all had to go this direction. You know, you pick one, SB Nation, Vox, you pick it. It's the same shit. It's all the same stuff. So um, again, Ryan Tannehill, front and center during racial, like, like uh, I don't even know what to call it, like just contention and tension in our community. Ryan Tannehill with Kevin Byard front and center preaching unity and, and, and togetherness. I don't, I don't know what else I need to say. So, okay. Yeah. Fucking Terrible. Very upsetting. <laughs> I hate when people just get the facts wrong. Okay. Um, all right. This, this conversation about Will Levis. All right. It took us 41 minutes, but we've gotten to Will Levis. Are you happy, Zach? We got to Will Levis. I'm happy. Okay. We just we didn't have to spend you know 40 minutes arguing the semantics that you guys did for. Oh, stop you know, it! That episode. There was nothing to talk about with Will Levis. There's something to talk about now, which is, and and Mike Hurden wrote about this for for Paul Karski. You guys talked about it. I've talked. I've said this 
particular phrase many, many times. If your confidence is broken because of adversity, you ain't QB1. Can your body be broken? Maybe. I think there's a more interesting conversation to be had about that because I think the one piece of context that you guys left out of your conversation, go listen to F-words, um, Joe Burrow, 32 sacks his rookie season, 51 sacks the second year. I believe he tore his ACL in the first season, I believe, right? And then mm-hmm. Super Bowl the second season. Tom Brady, 41 sacks in his first season. Justin Herbert, 32 sacks in his first season, sacked over 100 times in his first three seasons. Jared Goff, only 26 sacks in his first season. Uh, here's the difference between David Carr and those guys. 76 sacks <laughs> is an absurd number. So uh, Will Levis needs to protect. But he himself. also wasn't good. Like no, no, even, no absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know no, what I'm no, saying? No. Like I think I think that's the biggest difference in my opinion. Is that he just wasn't good. <laughs> no, no, no argument there. But what I my ultimate point is there's a difference between being like under pressure a lot. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jared Goff, Tom Brady, and what Derek Carr dealt with. Which which was three times the number of sacks as any of those other guys, well, and that's why I don't think people should bring up Derek or David Carr. Like in it's, my opinion, I think David. Because here's the thing: because we we didn't bring this up, and I don't think he even brought it up in this article, and it just hit me talking about the difference. That was the first year of them being a team. Yeah. They're not a well built. They weren't a well built, well oiled team that he went to you know what i'm saying he was their first quarterback their first franchise quarterback of an expansion team that was terrible for years and years i mean for uh, nobody thought that they were going to be any good until really deshaun watson suddenly popped up on the on the team they 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 fluctuated but they weren't like they didn't have staying power or anything and that's why that to me it just doesn't make sense because the culture wasn't built it wasn't established the staff wasn't that great i mean the the team obviously wasn't that great in the offensive line and he wasn't a good quarterback it was a quarterback out of necessity almost so like to me it's like it's the worst possible sit that that is essentially the yep. worst possible situation for any quarterback to go into I, I, but especially a quarterback as bad as david carr i believe their first overall expansion pick was jaguars tackle tony baselli and I don't think he, I'm not sure he played that year. <laughs> so, yeah. Because again, so I, I, my, I bring that up to, to kind of agree with you and say, David Carr is the outlier that yes. 76 sacks for an expansion franchise is an outlier. Also, he wasn't very good. good. Yeah. Here's the good thing for any fans that are listening to this show that interact on X. If you have to go all the way back to 2002 to make your point, your point is not good. Yeah, I, I, this is where two things can be true that maybe appear to be contradictory in your head. Largely, you cannot, if a quarterback is going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, he is mentally tough enough and physically good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. You cannot break him physically or mentally. It's just not possible. If you're QB1 and you're a dude, it's not possible. Ultimately, I think that's sort of the point. Also, at the same time, you need to learn to protect yourself and the team needs to do a better job of protecting him. So both things can be true. Yeah. So Levis has to be quicker. He has to get in check. He needs to check out of bad plays. He needs to slide protection better. It's all part of his evolution and his growth process, but he can't keep taking, can't keep taking all the hits he's taking. You got to protect him. He does. And the team does also, Mm -hmm. if he's QB one for 10 years, None of that shit matters 
because Joe yeah. Burrow tore his ACL and went to the Super Bowl the next year, and we've seen all these other guys get sacked and hit a lot. It, it doesn't mean I want him to. <laughs> but, right. But but th- that is the, the reality, and I've said this all you, along you about college yeah. quarterbacks, too. I agree. You can't be scared to play the play these players. I mean, you're 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 you do to me, you do more damage yanking a putting a player in, yanking a player out, putting a player in, yanking a player out. I think you do more damage that way. Now, again, he should be able to overcome that, but it's also about repetition and consistency for rookie quarterbacks to get comfortable. Now, in saying that, I agree. They need to do a better job of getting doing quick passes, establishing a quick passing game early in the game to set up their deep shots as well as using play action. They need to find they're not going to be able to find it this year, but they need to find the best combination of five offensive linemen as soon as possible. <laughs> and hopefully that happens this week. Yeah. Hopefully Brent skills back. Hopefully Chris, you know, it's Chris Hubbard all the way to Dylan Radins, and that's who they stick with right consistency and then you build upon it next year i and people want to say well the Colts ruined andrew luck you can say that all you want now they had a hard time he was pretty he awesome. had a hard time like marcus not getting injured you become injury prone if you want to blame the team for either of these guys being injury prone i would say this at uh, Andrew Luck had the weapons to not be injury prone and the full talent of of everything to get the ball out quick. He was fit. He was thick. He was physical. He's a big quarterback. He eventually decided he didn't want to play anymore. The he's team did not guy. force him into retirement. Right? He's a, he's the a team weird did guy. Not force him into retirement. He and that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. Because he could have held out, forced a trade. If he wanted to play football, but yeah. he did not want to play for the Colts, he could. There were many different ways for him to go about doing that. That did not require him retiring. Are people and saying Marcus, that the Colts broke Andrew Luck or something? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, all the time. People say it all the time. And Andrew Luck uh, is uh, Andrew Luck is like one of one. Boy, Jared Stillman says it all the time. And, and then Andrew, he says that the Titans broke Marcus Mariota. And I, let me tell you, Marcus had the best offensive line this team has probably ever seen in terms of pass blocking. He went. 26 touchdowns, I think, right before he got injured. Very few interceptions. He was looking like the guy. And even with the best offensive line, he got injured, right? He got injured even with the best offensive line to no fault of his anybody except for his just body given out on him. Or maybe the Jaguars player, if you want to blame him. And thus, it just kind of derailed. And he never wanted to change. He never wanted to change anything about his offseason. That is him. That is a him choice. Like, there's the it, the staff didn't ruin him. The many offensive coordinators didn't ruin him. Marcus chose, Andrew Luck chose different ways of ruining their careers themselves. And that, he, Andrew Luck, I, really ruined but I, I think, I think know. it's even more complicated than that, which means none of it can be applied to each other. Like, and certainly none of it can be applied to, to Will Levis. I, I think, right. To me, and, Andrew Luck is just a, a guy who's like a, like a masters from Stanford who doesn't want his head beaten in anymore. And which could happen with a good offensive line. Like you can take Tua is, is like, I'm concerned about all these players, general mental health over the long run. Like you take one bad hit. It doesn't take a bad offensive line 
to get too many hits to the head, for example. I do think the one thing that people don't, I think Marcus's arm was ruined on that throw, but that was like a fluke elbow to the helmet thing in Miami. Like that yeah, was not well, a, that particular, yeah. And I think his arm strength disappeared after that because of the nerve damage. Like, I think that's a different thing that we can discuss. I just didn't think he was very good to begin with. And you could, you could also say that if all of that adversity messed with his head so much that he wanted to quit temporarily or, or whatever, or even what happened with Atlanta last year, then he's not mentally tough enough to be QB one. And, and Deagle says this, I don't think people fully appreciate that level of mental toughness as well. I agree, but that is why you make millions of dollars to play football because you are capable supposedly of Look handling that Mahomes level on his trip to the Super Bowl last year. We all saw it on Netflix. We saw it in real time. If you're looking at the soup that thing, he gets injured. He, somehow plays through it. He goes and does everything he can during his own time to improve his ankle enough to play in the fucking game. And that's what he did. That's what, that's what true mental toughness looks like. I've never respected a court. It's been a long time. That's, since that's some physical tough. That's like that. That's physical toughness too, but that's mental that's, toughness to say, that's some, I want to play. Yeah. I need to figure out with my doctors, how I can play. And, and all and the, we biggest, know, sorry, that Marcus did not want to do anything outside of showing up to work at 8 a.m. and coming straight home as soon as the practice is over. Yeah, I, like, I we don't know. I, I don't think it helps. I know us for to, fact. It, I don't think it helps us to relive. Like, I don't think any one of these guys can be, can be compared to anyone. First of all, human bodies are vastly different. I, I think if we're talking mental capacity, yeah. to Deagle's point, mental toughness to because again that Mahomes stuff with that ankle I, I would put that in like the Favre like Terry Bradshaw like that 70s 80s type of quarterback well, that's a like, mentality though too it, it is right? it it's is not just it physical is. toughness I think that's a you have to have a mental toughness to also block out the pain yeah no no question there's no question but I I think ultimately you are either capable of handling all of the things that come with being a starting quarterback in the NFL at a high level or you are not. And and I don't think taking some sacks or dealing with a high ankle sprain. I mean, Tannehill, I think everybody would have to agree that Tannehill is pretty fucking tough. Like that guy's pretty tough. I again, I don't think he's an elite player, which is separate from like, are you capable of handling this, the stress of the situation? Mm-hmm. And I think of all the things I would ever say about Ryan Tannehill, the highest compliment I probably could pay him is that I think he is absolutely the mentality and the toughness of QB one. Do I think he has the skills and the talent? Probably not, but like, that's a different argument to me that, yeah. that it's, it's like, are you cut from a certain cloth that can handle it? And for, by all accounts, I, what I, what I saw on the screen against Tampa and what I saw against Pittsburgh is a guy who is capable of handling it. And also, kind of also don't take as many hits. back to Kentucky, right? Like, yes, you've also seen a shit. date back to Kentucky. He, yes. he's a tough dude who, and you know, for all the knock on Will Levis that I've done is basically been because of on-the-field play that you saw on tape. I never questioned his toughness or anything like that. It was because of his on-field play. And I said when he got drafted, I said, you know, I, I told everybody's like, from everything I've read, from everything I know about the, the him as the person, as the mentality, to be great. It's all about connecting that mentality with the physical attributes on the field, and that is my concern. That has nothing to do with it. right now. I am comfortable with saying that even if he gets injured, that he's going to come back from injury, right? You knock on wood, you don't want him to get injured because you don't want to miss any time. But I want 
I, I think that you got a guy you could build around for at least the next three years, right? The, the yeah. next three seasons yeah. should be about building around Will it's, Levis. And then if he doesn't work out, then you just draft someone else. It's the most exciting reason to watch the Titans right now. <laughs> it's Will Levis. Like, it's not that complicated for me. And, mm-hmm. I, and I like this point. I'm a Titans fan, so I'm mentally tough as nails. That's true. Yes. All you Titans fans absolutely understand what it's like to be QB1, uh, having to watch your team over the last 25 years. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, so, again, I think protecting this goes right into our game plan against the Jaguars. How do you actually make this game competitive? Jacksonville is, while they have the best record in the division, has some flaws. Clearly, their defense is playing significantly better, as we talked about on on Monday's episode. Uh, Offensively, it just still seems like they're buffering, which is how I've described their offense. It's like the pinwheel of death on your laptop. It it feels like it's just buffering, um, and it doesn't click. Of course, watch it do that this weekend against (laughs) against the Titans. So it's it's a game in which you can be very competitive. But more importantly, it is about showing progress at the quarterback position. Get the ball out quick. Uh, check your check your your protections. Pre-snap reads are important here. Like receivers need to get get open. They need to get the ball to the running backs a little bit more. Get Chig involved. They talked a little bit about that today at, at St. Thomas. Getting Chig the ball football more, which again. It, well, I mean, he's getting the ball thrown in. I don't understand this idea that he's not getting the they they got to find ways to give him the ball. I, I don't want the ball to go anywhere near Chica, Chica Conquo <laughs> right now because, I mean, like, I don't want it anywhere near him because Chig is a dangerous, dangerous person to have the ball near because he's it's going to be intercepted or dropped. He but has look, to earn the, the opportunity to get the ball back. Look, he caught a pass on a third and four and got a first down in the red zone, so he earned the next throw in which he almost created interception. So that's the entire Chig season in a in a, in a two pass, two plays in a row, back to back. Uh Here's the guy. We'll throw it to you on third down. We'll pick up a first down. We'll feel good about it. And then we'll throw it to you again. And it's almost a turnover. So um, I, I think that's sort of my, I, I, again, it is exclusively about Will Levis. I'm not sure, like, can, you know, Roger McCreary, I want to see growth from him. There's other guys that you want to see growth from. But by and large, when you look at the game itself and you look at the matchup, it's like, I, I mean, I, I, I told people on Monday, this is the last week to be emotionally invested in the outcome of the game. If they lose this one, I think you get rid of all the emotional investment and focus on the future and analyze the the team I, I, through your lens. I'm not going to tell anybody how to do it, answers. but you should have probably already left your emotional <laughs> investment at the, I, a couple weeks ago. I, I agree, and I, I think to your point, you need to have answers to questions at the end of the season. That should be the goal. My advice, again, I, I understand separating your emotion from your team is hard to do, even if they're bad. Like I get it. Like look at all those lions and Browns fans that go to games all the time. Like I get it for, for decades. But I think after, if you win this game, I think you can allow yourself to be emotionally invested in the outcomes. If they lose this game, I think it is time to focus on finding answers to everything. Meanwhile, the coaching staff should be doing that anyway. And, and let me say this, the the Jaguars are two and three at home. They're 4-0 and on the road, so they're not a good home team. But the problem is Titans aren't a good away team. And I'm looking at the Jags, the home split, home away splits for the Jags and the Titans uh, offense versus defense, and they're almost exactly the same. They both have, have faced 313 yards, Titans defense on the road, obviously, Jaguars at home. 313 plays, sorry. Uh, they're normal 8.3 for the Jags, 8.34 for the Jags offense on yards typically to go. Titans defense usually gives up 8.33 yards to go. 
Uh, yards per attempt on rushing, 3.6 for the Jags on the ground, 3.9 for the Titans defense. Completion percentage through the air, 64.2 for the Jags offense at home, 70.9 by yeah. the Titans. <laughs> so, like, it's not, it's not great. It's not 70% great. Completion percentage on the road? Holy shit. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus. you know, and the Titans offense on the road is only 54.1 completion percentage. And the Jags defense, though, is only giving up 65.4. So it's like something's gonna give, and mm. the smarter bet is that's gonna be the Jags defense, but I don't know. We uh, were kind of uh, due for a Titans offense, Mike Vrabel upset, but I really think that the Jags are gonna win. And I know everybody's predicting a blowout and all that kind of stuff. You know, I still think it's going to be like a 21-16 game. I don't think it's going to be that good. I think the the Titans defense will do just enough, and the Titans offense will do just not enough like they have all fucking season long, and that's just what it's going to be. I uh, by, by the way, insert just change the language in those sentences to be Tennessee Volunteers and Georgia Bulldogs, and you'll have the exact yeah. exact same analysis of that that game in Knoxville this weekend. Um, I think it's funny because you've said this a lot this season, where you're like, "God, they're due for one of those Mike Vrabel type of games," and they did it against Sa- the San Diego, they did it against uh, the Chargers, and they did it against the Bengals. And the Atlanta game doesn't count because that's like a Will Levis's debut yeah. is a different kind of a different animal altogether. Like they haven't had one of those on the road. The last road game the Titans won, I was there. <laughs> yeah, I was there. That was that's today, right? Like, isn't today the anniversary of that game? It was Thursday? twenty-six degrees at Lambeau Field. I was there, and they actually Traylon Burks looked good, and Ryan Tannehill looked good, and Derrick Henry looked good, and like the play calling was interesting. And of course, that night, what happened that night? <laughs> The ghost of Todd Downing haunts this team till since that night. They have not won. They have not won a road game since Todd Downing had a DUI. Tomorrow <laughs> is the one year anniversary of that game. So maybe you need to take into account some mystical voodoo that this is coming on week 11 versus week 11. I don't know. Maybe there's something to do this. This is going to maybe this is going to be the bucket. <laughs> Do it, Zach. Here's what do we're going to do. One year anniversary. <laughs> they may lose this game, but they are going to win out the rest of the way because that is what the data tells us, that it's time to circle it back, the cyclical nature of the NFL. All right. <laughs> I do not I, fully believe that or endorse that message. No, no. <laughs> I want to throw some good conspiracy theory out there. I do think that... I do think though the Titans are going to win this game for some fucking reason. I just can't escape it. I don't want to. Like, logically... I know the Jaguars are technically maybe a better team, but they're they got some little infighting going on with who's going to call plays, and the fans are upset. They've been dreadful at home. They're not very good at home. Their home away splits themselves are not that good. Yeah. Either are the Titans, and like yeah, I don't bad. know, maybe this is the week. Maybe I, this my week. my issue is the the formula for stopping Tennessee is so blatantly obvious easy to execute and there's some strengths on the Jacksonville roster at those positions. So that's the concern. You roll up your corners, you play press man, you don't let them off the line of scrimmage, you blitz off the edge and attack a weak offensive line and you don't. And then that's it. Like you can beat them. That's also kind of how you can play the Jaguars too, right? Like the Jaguars offensive line is terrible. You know, this is the, this is the week that Jeffrey Simmons, Nico Autry, Arden Key, Harold Landry, and Tierra Tart need to show the fuck up and be fired up and get some sacks. 
They need to walk away with a Cincinnati Bengals-like sack. And I don't know if the Titans will win, but we at least need to see like more than four sacks from this freaking defensive line or this front seven. We've been craving it all year long. They need to start living up to the hype, and this is the game to do it in. I, I had to drop uh, Trey Hendrickson and Carl um, – uh, shit, what's his name from the Saints? Uh, Granderson, the defensive lineman. Um, I had to drop both those guys and I was looking at who to pick up to play in my fantasy league. And I did Nico Autry. Yes, please. Uh, let's grab him. He's a top 20 defensive lineman from an IDP standpoint. I got Nico Autry into the lineup this week and I picked up the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. <laughs> so, so, right. uh, I, it, it could be low scoring. It could be ugly. I have a feeling because of the way the league works that Jacksonville plays a significantly better game than they played last week. Cause that's how it works. But that would also in theory, apply to the Titans as well. So yeah, at, at some point they have to be better on the road. Like it's just, it can't be as bad as it was against Tampa. I just, I can see Will Levis though, the pressure and the sacks and the hits and the pressures and the sacks and the hits, like it's just going to keep happening until they figure out a solution somewhere. So uh, I'll take Jacksonville. I don't know what the point spread is, but I'll take Jacksonville close, like 24, 17 type of deal. And the Titans, once again, do not get to 20 points. There you go. History repeating itself. Um, we've got coaching searches in the SEC. We'll get, we got plenty of time to get to that as well as uh, uh, I guess, Georgia, Tennessee. We'll see what happens there. Uh, congrats to Alabama on uh, clinching a spot in the SEC championship game. Big one this week against um, mother Mary sisters of the poor, poor and blind. You'll just check that one out against Bama. You know, goodbye week. Uh, here's what I bet. Here's the last, here's a little Easter egg for you. Go to sinkers, beverages, Kingston group. Great. Awesome. Local sponsors. I have Alabama plus the four already in the SEC championship game. And I want it on record today, November 16th. Bama like plus it. four SEC championship game. George has got some flaws. But, but, but Georgia to beat them in the playoff. <laughs> Alabama <laughs> wins Georgia in will the make SEC. it in the playoffs if Alabama wins the SEC. If they're 12 and one, if they go 12 and oh, and they're in that, and they're number one and they lose to Bama who could be like number four or five, then I think it's exactly like 2021. I think the, the Bryce young game where, and who do you think? Oh man, I'm so good. Now I'm so intrigued by who you think's out, but let's tease them. Let's talk about next week. Um, yep. I can tell you <laughs> coming up next week on the show. I'll tell you some stuff about the college football playoff sinkers, beverages, the Kingston group, uh, stacking the inbox.com. Uh, Sobros Network, thank you, Stoney, for always hanging out with us. We do appreciate it. All you guys in the comments today were great. Uh, sorry to Deagle, who bought a Traylon Burks jersey last year because of the Green Bay game. Apologies. Don't buy player jerseys. I keep trying to tell people, just do not but buy a customized jersey if you have to have a jersey. I, I would. I don't know what number I would get or even if I'd get a player name, but I do love the the old Oiler throwbacks. Those are pretty badass. Yeah, those are the best jerseys I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> those are pretty, they were pretty so close. good. I love them. I pretty, love them every pretty time close. I see them. Pretty close to being the greatest jerseys of all time. No question about it. Uh, I did not realize they sent a cease and desist to the Houston Cougars, though. Um, I felt that there. was kind of bad for them. Just let the I Houston think it is, too. It's, it's a different sport. Yeah. <laughs> like, let them do it. Uh, also, a great troll job by the Houston Cougars. Like, good job. Like, that's good effort there. Anyway, uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the game. Uh, at, uh, of course, at F-Words Pod, at Braden Gall on uh, Twitter.com. Uh, and, of course, please rate, review, subscribe, share the product, share the show. Uh, all the other great shows from 440 Sports, Broadway Sports Media. Uh, give us a subscription on the YouTube page as well. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks for hanging out. For Zach, I am Braden. We will talk to you next week.